This is the first time, I have to say, I've, I've, I've given a lot of speeches over the years. This is the first time I've ever given a speech with a drink in my hand, so <laughs> this should go particularly well. You're listening to the Offscript Podcast, and my name is Mark Coffin, and I'm your host. In June of 2009, the Nova Scotia NDP, led by then-party leader Daryl Dexter, won a majority of the seats in the provincial election and became the first NDP government elected in all of Atlantic Canada. Despite Nova Scotians having a long history of giving new premiers at least two chances to try their hand at leading a government, the NDP were ultimately defeated in the subsequent election in 2013. Many NDP supporters were disappointed by the approach taken by their own party in government, others were disappointed by the fact that they never won a second term, and some were disappointed by both. Two of the people who were part of the NDP caucus for the decade leading up to their victory in 2009 are Howard Epstein and Graham Steele. Both Howard and Graham were disappointed in the performance of their government and their party, and each of them have written books reflecting on that experience. In the spring of 2015, just after Howard published his book, Springtide, the organization that produces this podcast, hosted an event with both of them. The event was called Book Pub, where we invited Howard and Graham to face off with one another alongside moderator and former NDP communication staffer Barbara Amodi. This week on the Offscript Podcast, we're going to share the first part of the discussion from that evening. Get started with Graham Steele. One note before we jump into the tape from Graham's speech. The audio quality drops a couple of minutes into his introductory comments because we lost power to the soundboard, so you'll still hear what he had to say, but it'll actually be the feed from one of the camera microphones. But a few minutes later, the microphone Graham was speaking into gets back up and running, and you'll be hearing his remarks from that mic. So just FYI, here he is. Thank, thank you very much, Barbara. Thank you for your kind words. The smartest guy in the room is actually Howard. Uh, just ask him, he'll tell you. <laughs> this is the first time, I have to say, I've, I've, I've given a lot of speeches over the years. This is the first time I've ever given a speech with a drink in my hand, so <laughs> this should go particularly well. Um, the best thing about the event tonight is that no matter what happens tonight, this is an awesome fundraiser for Springtide Collective. Thank you, every single one of you, for being here tonight because, um, you know, when you cut through all the, the bullshit in politics, Springtide is good people doing good work, trying to make democracy better. And by just by being here tonight, you're making Springtide just a little bit stronger. So thank you to all of you. Uh, the worst part about being here tonight, that was the best part. The worst part is I had to read Howard's book again. <laughs> but now there's got to be a little bit of entertainment here, right? It's hardly worth coming. Uh, so dis despite, despite what you're about to hear me say, because look, I'm not here to brag up my book. I want to contrast our books. I want to say here's what I saw. And then here's what I saw in Howard's book, and then he's going he's gonna to get the rebuttal. But look, despite what anything that I might say tonight, Howard's book is definitely, definitely worth reading. Because here's the thing. Part of the political culture in Nova Scotia is a culture of secrecy. You just don't talk about what goes on. And Howard and I together have doubled the number of books written in the last 50 years. <laughs> right? Because... 
there, and, and all the other books that are out there are about the 1970s, okay? And nobody has written since, and we desperately need our politicians to tell the story, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because I, I think uh, government and politics is a mystery to most people. It, we know that what goes on in the legislature is just for show. The real decisions are being made somewhere else. They're being made in other rooms, the premier's office, the, the cabinet room, the minister's offices. They're being made in office buildings around downtown Halifax. And what all of those rooms have in common is you're not allowed inside. Right? All the important decisions are being made somewhere else that you can't see. And so Howard and I have tried to lift the curtain, open the door, open the window, whatever metaphor you want to use to say, look, this is what's, this is what's going on. So I'm going to start by talking about what my book is all about, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about what I see in Howard's book and why mine is better. <laughs> okay, now let's be very let's let's be very clear about this. We let's be very clear about this. Both Howard and I start from a position of disappointment. We are all disappointed in the performance of the government of which we are a part. I'm not here to say we were great. You know that old line that all departing governments say, which is, we were doing the right things, we just couldn't get our message out? You know, you've all heard that before. And, and, and that's not the case, okay? We were, disappointing, we were disappointing to you, we were disappointing to ourselves. But the question that I asked myself when, it came, when my 15 years in politics came to an end is why? And I didn't mean that as a rhetorical question. I meant that as a serious question that had to be addressed, you know, first and foremost by New Democrats because it was an NDP government, but also by, I think, Nova Scotians at large. Why is it that we were a disappointment? We, we weren't a failure. We weren't the worst government ever. That's what the partisans on the other side say. But we weren't better than the other guys. And if you're in the NDP, if you're part of the NDP, if you've been in the NDP for as long as we have, you told yourself all those years that we were going to be better. And we weren't. We just weren't. We weren't better. We weren't worse. We just weren't better. So the question be becomes why, why did that happen? And it's not like there's a right answer to that question. And this is why I think it's so valuable that apparently my book provoked Howard to write his book. And I hope it provokes other people to write other accounts of the government because the more stories we have, the more versions we have, the closer we are likely to get to a story that makes sense to all of us and that we can all live with and, as Barbara says, move forward with. Because at the end of the day, it's not about navel-gazing. It's about how do we best move forward. And I think about another government that was loaded with talent and crashed after four years, the Savage government from the 1990s. Um, and in fact, they crashed harder, arguably, than, than, than we did. And people are still arguing, still debating about why that happened. What exactly did they accomplish? What went wrong? And I think that discussion, that debate, is going to go on about the Dexter government for just as long. And remember, remember that the Savage government was... The Savage government essentially came to an end when John Savage resigned. That was 1997, right? It's getting close to 20 years ago. And people are still debating about the record of that particular government. So in my book, at the end of my book, I talk about three possible stories about what, what went wrong. They're not mutually exclusive. There could be a little bit of truth in all of them. Um, 
but that's the discussion we need to have. That's what I want to provoke tonight uh, at your table, among your friends, now and in the future, is that debate about what happened, what went wrong, what could we do better the next time. And what I put my finger on in my book is what I call a political culture, a negative and destructive uh, political culture, which I think captured the Dexter government. It certainly captured me. I'm not going to stand here and say to you that I was an angel or that I stood above it all and watching other people make mistakes. I was part of it. I was captured by the culture as much as anybody else. And, and this culture in, in the book, see, my book had a working title right up to the very end. We only changed the title of my book. My, my book is called What I Learned About Politics, but right up to the very end, it had a different working title, and that was The Rules of the Game. And the only reason we changed it is my publisher said, you know, if somebody walks into a bookstore and sees a book called The Rules of the Game, it doesn't tell them what it's about. So that's why the biggest word in the biggest font is <laughs> politics, okay? <laughs> That's why. But, but really my book is about, it could have been called The Rules of the Game because when you're in politics for long enough, there's a set of rules that you follow to survive and thrive. And I'm not going to go over them all now. They're, they're, they're in the book. Those of you who've read the book are familiar with them. But the point is that the longer you're in politics, the more likely you are to follow the rules. And, and frankly, I believe that's what happened to the Dexter government. I know what happened to me is we were in opposition for so long that by the time the 2009 election rolled around, all we wanted to do was win. And so we achieved our basic objective on election night. And after that, we were making it up as we went along. It's the middle of a recession, there's lots going on, so we were, ended up being buffeted by events like the MLA expense scandal. And at the end of the four years, people were just not feeling better off, so out we went. But then I turned to Howard's book, and you get a very different account. Uh, Howard's book is... Uh, Howard likes to describe my book as amusing. Amusing. <laughs> And, 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 and he, he, mean, he means it to be insulting, and that's the way I take it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's light, it's fluffy, it's frothy, right? Howard, Howard's book is much more substantial on the policy uh, area. And so chapter by chapter, you know, whether it's power or forestry or fisheries or you know, whatever. He goes item by item by item on the, policy, uh, on the policy agenda, things that we did, things that we should have done. And Howard's thesis is that we would have been more successful if we were more true to our roots as New Democrats, and, and by the way, if we had had better leadership. Now, I'm very interested to hear uh, your views on that. I personally find that thesis unconvincing. And... It, the simplest argument that I can offer you is look what's happening around us. I think it's a bit narcissistic to look at the Dexter government and say it was all our fault. We had the wrong leader, the wrong people doing the wrong things. Because at the same time that we had one mandate and were thrown out, New Brunswick did it twice. Nothing to do with Daryl Dexter, nothing to do with the NDP. And it's easy to forget that at exactly the same time that we were in office, Quebec did the same thing. A one-term government thrown out after one term, and their premier lost her seat on election night as well. Nothing to do with Dexter, nothing to do with the NDP. As soon as there's an election in Newfoundland and Labrador, they're going out. You can take that to the bank. That government is toast. 
Uh, PEI, you look, and it, it wasn't quite the same because it's majority government, but majority government with 41% of the vote, which in PEI usually earns you opposition, 20% of the vote went elsewhere other than the two traditional parties. In PEI terms, that's a bit of a political earthquake. And oh my God, Alberta. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like, if any one of you had said six months ago that Alberta would have a majority NDP government, you would have been laughed out of the door, right? It would have been ridiculous, and yet here we are, here we are. A a political dynasty has been thrown out in Alberta. Let me just say that again. Majority NDP government in Alberta. Okay, and, and, and so you look at that, something's going on. Like, the electorate is volatile. People are not happy with politics as usual. And yet Howard says, no, no, it's actually all Daryl's fault. I don't, think that, I don't think that Howard says one single good thing about Daryl Dexter in the book. And, no, really. And, and when he says a good thing, he takes it back before you get to the end of the sentence. Right? Like, he's, he's a good man. He would have been a good cabinet minister, but he shouldn't have been the premier. You know, stuff, stuff like that. That's not fair. That's not fair. That's not right. My book is a kind of a warts and all thing. It's a warts and all. Uh, it's the whole story, I think. It's about uh, warts and all about Daryl. Warts and all about Howard. Warts and all about me. Because I think that is, is a fuller and, and more accurate um, story. So let me, uh, you didn't come here tonight to have people read to you, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a short passage from Howard's book, and I'm going to read you a short passage from my book to illustrate what it is I'm talking about. Then I'll let Howard have the floor. My, my book first. <laughs> All right, so here's what I write. This is for those of you who brought your copy <laughs> or have bought one at the door. This, uh, this, is, uh, this is on page 20. Here's what I say about the NDP, the internal politics of the NDP. There are within the Nova Scotia NDP two broad factions. They overlap, and individuals slide from one to the other, but there are two. One is moderate pragmatic, centrist. The other is more contrarian, more ideological, less accommodating. Faction one sees faction two as inflexible, pushy troublemakers. Faction two sees faction one as weak, liberal sellouts. Faction one is larger and almost always carries the day at party meetings, but faction two is louder. And, and what I say in the book is that the, the epitome of Faction 1 is Daryl Dexter, and the epitome of Faction 2 is Howard Epstein. And, <laughs> and, and, and really, so, so, so when you read Howard's book, if you're already there, if, you, if you're already in that faction, or the, the politer word that Howard uses is wing, the progressive wing. I prefer the word faction. I, I'm in a faction too. I don't mean in a pejorative way. It, it, the thing is um, that, that if you're in that faction already, you'll be thoroughly convinced by Howard's book because you're already there. But I'm not totally sure that it will convince anybody who's not already there. So uh, Barbara tells me I'm out of time, so I'm actually not going to read from Howard's book. I'll let him do that. <laughs> uh, but but here, here's, how I would su- here's how I would sum up. Here's how I would sum up Howard's book. Um, which, by the way, you should all read. 
half of Howard's book is, yeah, that's really solid analysis. There's another quarter which is like, yeah, okay, the facts are more or less accurate, but that's kind of a twisted interpretation of what it all meant. And then another quarter is like, oh my God, Howard, that never happened. <laughs> now, I, I could give a dozen of examples. The, 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 the section I was going to read was a really clear example where Howard tells a story that, folks, is just not true. And it ends up, it ends up making Daryl look like a boob and Bill Esterbrooks like, look like a liar. And neither of those things is true. And it, it had to do with how Daryl was selected as interim leader of the party. But this, I think, is, is a problematic part of, of, of Howard's book, is that, is that he has a story he wants to tell, and he shapes the facts to fit the story rather than the other way around. And so let me conclude with this thought. Is, is that's, that's my take on my book. That's what I think I'm writing about. That's my take on Howard's book. There's a, look, there's a lot of great stuff. I, partly I'm having fun here just jabbing him since he's sitting right beside me here. <laughs> But if you, not, if you find neither of these versions convincing, write your own. Write your own story. Write a short version. Write a blog. Write something on Facebook. Write your own book if you think you can. Because for the sake of the province, we need to understand what happened, what went wrong with the Dexter government, because it definitely did go wrong, because that's the only way that we can all, we can all go forward together and fail better the next time. Thank you. <laughs> So that was Graham Steele at the event Book Pub that we hosted in the spring of 2015, talking about his book, What I Learned About Politics. Up next was Howard Epstein, but before we cut to Howard's remarks, we wanted to bring you a message from one of the supporters to the Offscript podcast. The Offscript podcast is made possible by the listeners who help cover the costs it takes to bring these episodes to you each week. So this week's featured supporter is Paul Black from Dartmouth. Here's Paul explaining why he supports the Offscript podcast. Make no mistake, the system of politics and government we have in Nova Scotia and in Canada, it's archaic, it's old, it needs fixed, it needs to evolve. And how best to learn but from the people who used to participate in it and run it as elected politicians to draw important lessons and work on things that we can do to improve our democracy. That's why I donate, and I hope you'll consider it too. Thank you to Paul and all of the listeners who support the Offscript podcast. You can donate at offscript.ca slash donate. Uh, The average donation among those who contribute monthly is just over $10 a month. If you're getting a lot of this podcast and you know you can't afford to contribute, we don't expect you to pay a cent. Enjoy this podcast. On the other hand, if you're getting a lot of this podcast and you know you've got more loose change than the average listener, then consider chipping in a little more than average. You can do that at offscript.ca slash donate in order to make sure these podcasts keep coming to you. Okay, back to BookPub, and here is Howard Epstein sharing some of the big ideas from his book, Rise Again, Nova Scotia's NDP on the Rocks. Well, it's a good thing I wore this jacket this evening so you know who the good guy is because you, uh, you wouldn't otherwise know it as a result of uh, the previous presentation. Um, although, I, 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 first I want to thank the Springtide Collective 
collective for uh, organizing this. Uh, this is really a, a great thing. Uh, it's a bold group that operates under uh, a motto that talks about making democracy bitter. So this, this is, uh, it's also a thrill to appear on a stage uh, with Graham, the uh, uh, estimable Graham Steele. He, he is such a talented pe person and uh, a wonderful speaker. He, he is often featured at uh, NDP events in the past. I remember uh, one event a number of years ago where Graham was the, the featured speaker and um, uh, unfortunately it turned out that I was delayed at um, uh, another event and I was a good three quarters of an hour uh, late and as I came up to the hall uh, a fellow came out to just uh, uh, have a little uh, uh, smoke break I think and uh, I, I asked him if I was too late and if uh, Graham was, uh, was still speaking and he says oh yes uh, Graham is still talking and I said well um, what's, what's his speech about? And he says, well, I don't know, he didn't say. Um, so, um, this, so I think, I think we have to get ready here for uh, a, a little bit. Um, um, and I think, I think out at the Mount, I think out at the Mount, maybe even in Barbara Imodi's uh, department, there are courses in uh, remedial reading uh, that are available uh, so that people can learn how to read books and actually understand what they, uh, they have to say. Um, like Barbara, I too am focused on the future, and I, I think that the future of politics in Nova Scotia, uh, not just for the NDP, but the NDP uh, is an, an important element in politics and the future in Nova Scotia, perhaps. Uh, in my book, which is called Rise Again, uh, there is an implied question mark at the end of the title. It's not so obvious to me that the NDP will rise again. We're at a very precarious moment for the NDP and therefore a precarious moment in politics in Nova Scotia. Will we revert in some fashion to having simply a two-party uh, system? I, I hope that isn't the case. I hope the NDP, in fact, uh, thrives. But one of the things I do believe is that it's necessary to have a good, honest look at what happened in the past in order to build a base for going forward. Uh, otherwise, uh, if you don't acknowledge what it is that went on in the past, if you don't look at the errors that were made, if you don't uh, apologize, which I do in the book because no one else seems to be apologizing on behalf of the, the party and the government, that uh, unless those things happen, unless there is a good, honest, hard look at what it is that went on in the past, there is really no opportunity to go forward uh, in a rational way. And I ask the question, um, what do we need the NDP for? There is no rationale for having a third party in politics in Nova Scotia or at the national level, um, be it the NDP or anything else, unless that party is going to be different and significantly different than the other parties. What has traditionally happened in Canada and traditionally happened in Nova Scotia was that Governments changed every five or ten years between the Liberals and the Tories. And what would happen is that the voters would look at a government and they would say, that government is stale, that government is maybe borderline corrupt, maybe uh, we're just fed up with them, maybe we think their policies haven't been all that successful, uh, maybe just on general principles it's a good idea to throw an old bunch out and get a new bunch in. And so when you're fed up with the Liberals, you can throw them out and you get the Tories in. When you're fed up with the Tories, you throw them out. And so every five or ten years, that was the pattern. Now every once in a while, that pattern would be different. So in Alberta, there was 44 years of Tories in the Ontario. Uh, in Ontario, there were also 40 years of Tories before there were changes. But, but even given those anomalies, 
mostly at the national level and in most provinces, that's what you got, switching back and forth between, between uh, uh, Liberal and Tory governments. And it didn't really make much difference, and of course the voters were pretty cynical about it. The whole rationale for the NDP is that we said to the voters, we are not going to be like the Tories or the Liberals, we are different. We have a different set of policies. We're edgier. We're anticipating different things in the future. We're on the side of ordinary Nova Scotians, used to be one of the mottos of, of, of the NDP in opposition here. Um, the party presented itself as being honest and open and accountable and, and more likely to deliver a, a government that was going to be significantly different and identifiably different than the other parties in the past. We spent years in the opposition building up the credibility of the party on precisely that basis. Um, Alexa McDonough, in the years when she was the leader of the party, um, did wonderful work building up uh, her personal credibility and the credibility of the NDP, and she was joined by John Holm and a few other uh, uh, MLAs who came uh, uh, and managed to get themselves elected uh, uh, and who did wonderful work during all of that time, and uh, we built on that during the time when Robert Chisholm was the leader, and we, we all those years uh, leading up to 1998, when we suddenly made a big jump forward and managed to elect 19 MLAs, all of a sudden we became a potent force in, in the electoral process in Nova Scotia. And building on, on, on the credibility that Alexa had established and Robert had, we continued that and we kept saying to the public, we are going to do different things. And here's one of the main signals of how it is a party says that it has an agenda that it wants to pursue should it become the government. And one of the main ways is to talk about the policies you would pursue by introducing bills when you're in the opposition. And we went, uh, I went back, and there's a chapter in my book in which I look at all the bills that we introduced during the years when we were in opposition. And I pick out about, I think, almost 20 of them that are fascinating bills because they signal an agenda that the NDP had in mind that voters should have been able to rely upon for an NDP government should it ever come to that. And one of my favorites, one of my favorites, is Bill 76 from the fall of 1998, introduced by my colleague, my new colleague, we were both elected at the same time, Daryl Dexter. And this was a bill that said the following thing. Before there are any more grants or loans to very large companies, there should be a value for money audit by the Auditor General, and in the meantime, there should be a moratorium on such grants and loans. Well, you know what? Pretty sensible kind of position. But it, amongst many other things, disappeared from the agenda when we finally achieved power and became the government in 2009. What happened? Well, you have to ask yourself why it was that we actually became the government in 2009. Now, I think there are two reasons, and I think, as I understand it from, from conversations uh, uh, with uh, uh, listening to Daryl, listening to people in his inner circle, that they thought that there were two reasons. And on the first reason, we agree. The first reason was people were just fed up with the Tories. They had been the government for 10 years. Uh, Rodney MacDonald had succeeded John Hamm. Uh, Rodney was not seen as being all that successful as a, as a premier. And voters were ready for change. Fine. First reason, everyone agrees. Second reason, I believe that the main thing is that there was a thirst out there amongst the voters 
for a profound change in the way politics was being done. But I think that is not what Daryl believed. Daryl, in, in, during the years when he be, was the leader, really worked hard to move the party to uh, what he considered a, a sort of general center in which the party looked more like the, the Liberals and the Tories. It wasn't that all of a sudden, after 2009, we became the government, that there was this change. It was being signaled for several years in advance of that. You could see it coming. And this, this happened um, because there was a drive for power. There was a drive to win government, and the theory was that you won government by looking like everybody else, by being unthreatening, by, by, by not being new, uh, traditional social democrats, unfortunately. And that is the theory that prevailed. And that, in fact, is the government that we delivered. In fact, it was even worse than that. That, just to jump ahead to 2013, explains, in my view, much of why it is that we lost so badly in 2013. You heard Graham say, it wasn't that we were really kind of worse than other governments. Uh, we were kind of like other governments. And that was the problem. The problem was the contrast. The problem was that we had promised something different when we were in the opposition. Not just that in a mushy sense we would be better, but that we had a particular set of policies that we were going to follow through with and that we were going to implement if we ever had the chance. And we had done good work when we were in the opposition and we continued to do some good things when we were in the government, but by and large, it wasn't what the NDP had promised over the years in opposition. And it was that contrast. It was that stark contrast between what it was we had said for years and years that the NDP stood for and during those four years what we actually delivered. One of the prime examples, of course, would be things like a large number of dollars going to support the Irving Shipyard contract. Big money, big money. You can argue the toss about whether this is, uh, uh, was necessary. The feds clearly required that there was going to be some kind of uh, provincial support. I've read all their documents. It's not at all clear to me that they required anything in the, the range of, of that money or that it had to be money. But this, this happened. The government decided to do that. And that didn't sit well with the voters of Nova Scotia, who, at the same time as they saw uh, an open hand, towards the Irvings and virtually every other large corporation in Nova Scotia, um, they saw cutbacks in education and they saw cutbacks in things that they valued as services that the government should have been delivering. And it was that contrast between the largesse directed at very large corporations and the austerity agenda with respect to public services that not only bothered the voters, but it particularly bothered them with respect to an NDP government. That, I think, explains what happened when it came to 2013. But you have to look at the votes in 2013 as well. The NDP got 27% of the vote. The Liberals, in fact, didn't get a majority uh, of the votes. They got something 47, 48% of the votes. If we had a proportional representation system, of course, there would be a minority Liberal government. There wouldn't be a majority Liberal government. Um, but tw at 27% of, of the votes, we only elected seven MLAs with about the same number of votes, slightly fewer. The Tories elected, I think, 12, 13, was it, Denise, uh, 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 MLAs. They got about twice as many uh, 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 MLAs as we did. That's the vagaries of the first-past-the-post system. But, but that means, to my mind, that there is still potentially a viable three-party system in Nova Scotia. But the problem for the NDP is, will we be able to continue that, will we really hold on to that 27% and build on it? This is a precarious moment for our party. 
because at the moment, uh, membership is down, money is down, uh, organization is, is very spotty around, uh, around many constituencies in the province, and we have no permanent leader. We're about to start uh, uh, looking for a leader. It'll take another year to sort that out, and the soul of the party is going to be fought over. And the nature of the battle is going to uh, have to do with who is chosen as the next leader of the party. So looking into the future for the NDP, it's not so clear where we're going to go. If it turns out that we get version two, Daryl Dexter, as uh, the next leader of the party, I don't think it's going to do us much good. We'll probably be looking at the kind of scenario that the NDP uh, has faced in Ontario, where after the one-term Bob Ray government, it's been now more than 20 years, and the NDP is still not another government. I don't want to be understood as suggesting that you have to win power and form a government in order to be effective. It was a very important point to remember. During the years when we were the opposition and we faced minority governments of the Liberals or the Tories, we were able to maneuver, pressure those governments in ways that achieved very useful things, things that were, were traditional NDP values, whether they had to do with the tax system or benefits for seniors uh, or environmental matters. We were able to accomplish those even though we weren't the government. I'm all in favor of an NDP government, but it has to be worthwhile to have that NDP government. It has to really be an NDP government. But at the same time, it is possible to adhere to the traditional values that we have espoused as a party and also be politically effective. And that would, uh, can best happen uh, through adhering, not just adhering to our values, speaking out about them, electing people, and, and pressuring governments uh, to, to come through uh, with the kinds of policies that, uh, that are NDP policies. Because I think they also reflect what it is that many voters in Nova Scotia traditionally believe. They believe in minimizing social inequality. They believe in a healthy environment. They believe in supporting education at all levels. Uh, they didn't like it uh, when uh, there, there was abuse of the uh, expenses system. Uh, they didn't like it when there were huge handouts uh, to, to corporations. So I think that those kinds of things, uh, which many people inside the party uh, continue to adhere to, will serve us well as we go into the future. So thank you. Thank you for listening to the Offscript podcast. You've been listening to the recording from an event we held in 2015 called Book Pub, featuring Howard Epstein and Graham Steele. That voice you just heard was Howard Epstein. Thanks for listening to the Offscript podcast. As we shared in an earlier episode, we're taking a break for about a month to work on the next set of standard episodes, the ones that follow the career of the former MLAs of the Nova Scotia legislature. And we'll be coming back in April with a new distribution partner, a new co-host, and a special theme that the next set of episodes will be focused on. More on that in the weeks ahead. In the meantime, we're going to continue sharing more special episodes like this, and next week that episode will be the next part of the discussion where Howard and Graham take questions from the audience and debate one another. <laughs>